Welcome, folks, to Brandon Man Ministries, building one disciple at a time for the cause of Christ, not by any work of man, but by the grace of God alone. So during today's episode of Open Your Bible, we will take a look at the biblical principle and practice of spiritual gifts. The New Testament provides us with several verses that make reference to spiritual gifts, mostly attributed to the writings of the Apostle Paul and also the uh, Apostle Peter. Now, the term spiritual gifts is, of course, an English translation from combining two Greek words, chrismata, referring to an expression of God's grace, and pneumatika, which refers to things of the Spirit. So I, I bring this to your attention because the term chrismata, uh, charisma, or any variation of that, such as charismatic, if used on its own, it doesn't have anything to do with the Spirit in the biblical context. I know we apply it in different ways, but I just wanted you to understand that from context. If you hear charismatic church, it really should be a charismatic pneumatica church. So a correct definition of spiritual gifts should be, it is an expression of God's grace referring to things of the Spirit. Charismata pneumatica. So how does the Bible describe a spiritual gift and its purpose? Spiritual gifts are described as a display of evidence testifying to the presence of the Spirit of God. They are also given for the expressed purpose of the common good. That's a biblical representation from the Apostle Paul. He says, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Manifestation is evidence testifying to the presence of the Spirit of God for the common good. Now, what is the common good? Well, in the context of Paul's letter, now this is his entire letter. The common good refers to the edification of the church. In other words, the improvement and development of the church. And this happens through teaching and education. You see all the, at least in the New Testament, you see the uh, works of Jesus, all of his apostles who he taught, and the Apostle Paul and some of the disciples writing of other disciples within uh, the canon of the New Testament. You see the improvement and development of the church through teaching and education. Through teaching and education. They're all teachers. They're all educators. Now, each believer is provided the gift of the Spirit as a seal of their salvation. Paul emphasized this as well in his letter to the church in Ephesus. He says, in him, meaning Jesus, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of the promise. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. So what are these spiritual gifts? Paul gives us a pretty comprehensive list, but not an exhaustive one. He gives it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'll read right from that. He says, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are a variety of ministries and the same Lord. There are a variety of effects, but the same God who works all things in all people. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. 
and to another, the word of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, to another, faith by the same Spirit, to another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another, the effecting of miracles, and to another, prophecy, and to another, the distinguishing of spirits, and to another, various kinds of tongues, meaning languages in the Greek, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 11. So the critical points there to take away from those verses are that spiritual gifts come in a variety of forms, not given the same gift to each person. And they are given at the sole discretion of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, for two distinct reasons. To display the presence of the Spirit, His presence, and to improve the church. So in no way are they to be used to attract attention to an individual or to gain any popularity. This is really one of the reasons that Paul wrote his first letter to the church in Corinth. It was to correct the Corinthian behavior of abusing spiritual gifts. So the Bible undoubtedly teaches the existence of spiritual gifts for the development of the church in the first century. But the question is often asked today, are spiritual gifts still present? Well, as the church clearly has continued to develop since the time of the apostles, it's safe to say that from a biblical perspective, yes, most of the spiritual gifts are still active today. And you can go back through that list, with the exception of three miraculous gifts, gifts that are definitely in the category of something outside of human existence. They are miracles. Now, this is the gifts of healing, affecting of miracles, and tongues. All three of those are miraculous gifts. The others are not. You might consider prophecy to be one, but prophecy essentially means preaching. Now, this is critical. It does not mean that just because one might believe through biblical proofs and truths that the three miraculous gifts don't exist today. They did exist at one point, but not today. Just because you think that, that does not mean that you also believe God cannot do miraculous work whenever he wills. That goes without saying. It is very evident to us all, all believers, that God works miracles in his creation every day. He's done so in the past, he does so currently, and I have no doubt he will continue. But God working miracles is not the same as a human being being afforded the ability to do so through the gift of the Spirit. That's a different thing entirely. Now, miracles in the Bible, they're also considered to be signs. They're, the two words are used interchangeably, miracles and signs. They're also always used to authenticate a message, particularly a new message, or a messenger as having come from God. We see this written from creation all the way to the ascension of Christ. The same purpose was also provided to the apostles 
and a few of their disciples to effect miracles as proof of authority of themselves coming from God and their message coming from God. A good example of this comes during an encounter between Jesus and a Jewish priest named Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus said this to Jesus when they first met. He said, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. That's from John chapter 3, verse 2. So we see how the Jews viewed miracles as signs of divine authority, both person and message. It is very, very evident in their own writings, even extra-biblical writings of the Jewish community. It's very significant here to the development of the church and the message of the gospel that those receiving these messengers and this message could know through signs and miracles that they were from God. Now, once the message was completed and authority had been given, as we see in all the documents of Holy Scripture at the close of the first century, once that is done, no further miraculous spiritual gifts were needed to prove the authority of the message. All the books of Scripture, all 66, okay, now there's 39 of them were from the Old Testament, so they were already developed. But also the remaining 27 were completely developed and accepted as divine authority, and the messengers were accepted as divine messengers before the end of the first century. And they were circulated throughout all the churches on three different continents. Equally so, miraculous gifts were no longer needed to prove authority of a messenger. So priests and preachers, prophets, they could only expound on the information that was already given. There was no new information needed to prove was the, that it was divine. There was no additional messengers that came forward after the apostles and after the disciples, after scripture was closed. There are no new messengers that needed to be proven to have divine authority. They could not add any new writings or work to scripture unless, of course, someone believed that the work of Christ was incomplete, which in itself would be totally unbiblical. It just was not necessary any longer. It would actually become very confusing. Now, let's break this down a little bit further. The gift of healing, for instance, was relegated to Jesus and his apostles, including Paul. It is significant to note here that neither Jesus nor his apostles or Paul healed everyone that needed healing. And that's because the purpose of this miracle was to authenticate divine authority and not to eliminate all suffering. That would come much later, still needs to come from today. There are many examples of this in Scripture. One very good one is when Jesus is walking in Jerusalem, early in the uh, Gospel of John, he's describing this. He walks through a very large crowd of infirm and sick people to heal one, to prove a point, because shortly after that, he would be in front of many of the Jewish leaders describing the events in a particular divine way. 
So the apostles that followed Jesus didn't need much of that continuing authentication either, because all of Scripture points to that. The early books, the early documents that were written in Scripture, for instance, 1 Corinthians, written some 30 years or so after the the, uh, resurrection of Jesus, that was one of the earlier ones. So it addressed a lot of the spiritual gifts that were very, very prevalent at the time. But as the documents moved through time to the last one of Revelation, which was written towards the end of the first century, the gifts written of in Scripture became less and less because the apostles needed their teaching and themselves to be confirmed less and less. Now, in addition, all of the early church fathers that wrote commentaries on the teachings of Christ and through the second and third century, such as Polycarp, who was a disciple of John's, and Augustine, and Justin Martyr, and there's many, many are, dozens more. They all considered speaking in tongues, for instance, an exercise in futility. It was not needed. Augustine basically said that. Now, it really didn't come back to speaking of tongues in any significance until the 16th century, and it is still considered by Christian orthodoxy as an unnecessary deviation. And even among the apostles, was considered the least of all the spiritual gifts, even though it was miraculous. And even more so, the inspired Word of God, the Holy Scripture, tells that the gift of tongues would end and defined love would continue. So, spiritual gifts are given to believers according to the will of the Spirit. Man cannot learn them. Man cannot inherit them. Man can definitely not purchase them. They are given by the will of the Spirit alone. They are also given today for the purpose, or then also, and today, for the sole purpose of advancing the church. And miraculous gifts are no longer needed to authenticate biblical truths. We know Scripture is authentic. We know the apostles. We know Jesus. We know Paul. We know those were authenticated as divinely inspired. They should never be used to advance the authority or popularity of any individual and should never be falsified. They should never be done falsely, I should say, or abused to advance any cause outside that of Christ. Because any gift, folks, sought or given should be to hunger and thirst for the Word of God and for the edification of the body of Christ. Thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you and give you peace. Next up on Open Your Bible, we will provide our final episode of season one and look at the principle of the glory of God. God bless you all. And remember, the Bible cannot mean today what it did not mean then.